The gig economy is transforming the workforce from Uber, Lyft to Airbnb, TaskRabbit and DoorDash. Workers are signing up for individual gigs, delivering food and groceries and also ferrying people from one place to another. However, there are auxiliary marketplaces being built on top of the sharing economy and Pano is one such company. Pano is empowering drivers and local businesses through its highly customizable ad platform that's being built on top of the ride sharing ecosystem. Today, we are thrilled to have Nada Khalil, CEO and co-founder of Pano, a company leveraging the gig economy to build a platform for hyperlocal rideshare advertising. Hey, this is Things Have Changed. Your hosts, Jed, Shikhar, and Adrian, are just trying to figure it out, including this intro. We meet pioneers, break down topics, and have a laugh. Welcome to the conversation. I've lived in San Francisco for almost four years now. I moved right after college and um, I live in North Beach. And if you walk down Columbus Street, you'll notice that like every other shop seems boarded up. It keeps happening. In fact, the cafe where I started coding Pinot and in fact, the failed startup before it, I was coding it there. And when we started Pinot, we like onboarded drivers from that cafe. They got an eviction notice in December. And so they shut down. So what we kind of recognize is that it's really, really hard to be a local business owner today. And that's what makes America so cool and what makes like cities so cool, right? SF feels like SF, LA feels like LA, San Diego feels like San Diego. And there's a reason for that. So it's local businesses, right? Like we're not all trying to dine at Chili's. There's this Italian immigrant who loves making pizza. They come to America for a better life and they just fucking make a damn good pizza and that's it. It's successful, right? That's the American dream. And it seems like it's not there anymore. And that's not the, that's not, uh, I don't want to live in a a world that's like that. What we kind of realize is we want to create something that's really helpful for local businesses. And we talked to local business owners. And when we were starting this, it was like, I talked to like a bar owner, bar none in the marina. You guys probably have been there, right? Yep. So, yeah. yep. See, okay, but you haven't been there recently, right? And it's so what he, we talked to the bar owner and he's like, you know, three years ago, two years ago, I used to have lines out the door. Now those people moved because the city's kind of this revolving door and the new young people don't really know about my spot yet. So it's tough. I think that just kind of resonates with more than just that bar. So if you look at the types of advertising platforms that you have, the options today, right? You have digital ads, think Instagram ads, web banners, blah. You have out-of-home ads. Think billboards and bus wraps. Mm -hmm. So they're very different. So first of all, physical ads, you're just priced out if you're a local business owner. You can't afford a $30,000 billboard. This is not going to happen, right? But they're so much more valuable. If you have an out-of-home ad space, you know that the person was dressed when they saw your ad. You know that they're out and about when they saw your ad. But if it's on Instagram, I could be in boxers in bed scrolling on my feed. And that's when I saw your ad right? Online ads are great for online businesses because if a click will get you to walk into the door, right? That, that there's no equivalent for physical businesses. That's where uh, what we wanted to do was create an out-of-home ad space 
so that you can guarantee that people are dressed and on the move when they see the ads, right? And we wanted to bring in this interaction mechanism that digital ads have, but physical ads, out-of-home ads do not. That's where we, we decided, let's put a tablet inside Ubers and Lyfts because that's how we get around in the city, right? I'm, we're not all like driving and shit. The idea was that I'm in North Beach. I'm visiting my friend in the mission. I walk around North Beach, so I know North Beach businesses. And my friend's going to show me his places in the mission. I'm driving through some five neighborhoods on my way to the mission. That's the perfect opportunity for those businesses to tell me why I should stop. And we should build a mechanism that allows me to click on the ad and stop. And that's what we've done. So we have an out-of-home ad space that's, that we don't let business, local businesses get priced out from. And we've brought in these cool interactions. So if you see an ad on Pano, you can reroute your car. You're going out for drinks. You see 10 bucks off a pitcher at this new spot. You could say, fuck it. Let's do that. That's, that's really interesting because like how many rides do people take? Uber has done more than like 5 billion rides. There are like 3 million people driving for Uber. So you can just see what the total addressable market here is. Like the TAM is just crazy. Like when we started this, I didn't even know what a TAM was or a CAC or whatever. Like, and like, I didn't start this to make a successful business. I started this to have, because I genuinely cared about the impact. And I'm kind of Jed brought up on the note, like why us, why me, why Zoom, right? Like Zoom was like the 150th video chat, right? Gmail came out so late. Like and there were so many, email was solved until Gmail, right? And so like, essentially you find people that, that care enough about a problem and they'll will those companies into existence. And so why us? It's because we're going to will this company into existence. We have, and we'll continue to do so. We have an idea of how we want the world to look. And I, you know, I think the happy path of tech is like, why don't we all just sit alone on our sofas and dictate our whole life by our thumbs, Instacart for everything, order things, bring it in. And I think people like to go do shit. At least I do. So letting a local business owner focus on the thing that they love, which is, you know, making a good pizza or making some incredible food or whatever it may be, because that's where their heart is. And this is where our heart is. God damn, you kicked it out of the fucking park. <laughs> the passion. Oh, man, that's sick. That's just, really just hearing you talk yeah. about it. I can just hear the passion and it hits, it, it hits you personally. Yeah, I, I, this, this, this is this is what you know. This is what com- community is supposed to be, right? It's like like we can we should be connected as like a globe, like like globally. Like that's awesome, but that shouldn't take away from SF feeling like SF and from North Beach feeling different than the Mission and things like that. And so today we're we're do, we're attacking this problem by by creating uh, a revolutionary ad space that doesn't exist uh, that hadn't existed previously. And yeah, just doing doing what we can to kind of level the playing field for the local businesses uh, compared to corporate advertisers. What's really unique about the way you guys go about it is it sounds like you guys are really on the ground meeting these businesses. I'm I'm door to dooring. I'm taking a tablet, walking into businesses. And you know, it's funny, like I'll walk in with a tablet. I'm like, hey, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Pinot. And like, I was at this like shoe boutique on Union Street and the lady was like, oh, hey, Mr. CEO. And I was like, hey, man, he's not, he's not taking me seriously. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, you get, you get some of those, but every, every now and then you do get a very genuine uh, interaction. And, and there's nothing better than like actually connecting with people and really understanding the pain points. Like the difference between Silicon Valley companies and other companies is like companies everywhere in the world uh, are made to make money. Companies in Silicon Valley are created to solve problems. I think that's really resonates. And you see that a lot. I think people do genuinely look to like solve a problem. And if you do so, you know, the rest of it will kind of figure itself out, like financially and everything, you know, unit economics are great. You know, there's healthy margins, things like that. And so then it's just really focusing on making the impact. So how did you start approaching these businesses? Were you first getting a feel for what 
kind of issues are you dealing with? Did you do your own research and trying to figure out, okay, how are these businesses marketing? What do they currently use? And how could I improve it? So what was your approach and how has it evolved through time as you're scaling and growing? Facebook can kind of A-B test some small thing, go interview a group here and interview a group here, or try a red button for a million audience members and a green button for another million and see what got more clicks and things like that, right? But like, if you're small, you can't do that. So you really just have to take a leap of faith. If Facebook was to go change their product dramatically, like that would be very disruptive. Like the, the stock market would, would feel it, right? Like they can't do that. The beautiful thing about being in a startup is you can do that. You can pivot a whole 360 degrees if you wanted to. You can just keep going. Like have an assumption, take the swing, grab some data, and revisit your assumption if needed. What's uh, what, what do you think's your uh, most important data point, dude? You collect all this data. You present a lot of data to your the the businesses that work with you uh, to to give them more value. What do you think is the most important data point that you collect? I don't know. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. We, we like built out like a metrics dashboard and things like that. Uh, the local business owners don't really seem to check that as much. And the more sophisticated advertisers are really data focused, data first, right? The smaller businesses, like they're busy doing their things, right? They're kind of like the chief everything officer and like they don't, they don't have time to go into the data. So for them, it's really about like, did I, did I see it? Did I feel it? You know, some of the happiest customers, I'll tell you one of them who's, ne- he's never going to quit. The day he's put up an ad, his wife got in an Uber. And he, and she saw his oh, face <laughs> and like, he sends us a picture at like 10 PM. He emailed it to me. He was like, yo. And then like all of his friends keep texting him. They're like, you're in my Uber. You're in my Uber. So overheard Marina, they were like, when you're plastic surgeons in your Uber or something like that. And, and that was like on their story. So he felt the exposure. The, you know, they're not, they don't have marketing teams. They don't have, they don't have marketing cycles. We're figuring out what works, what sticks, what doesn't, who's the, you know, what are the types of best customers? We listen to them. We've been like iterating our price points and pricing models, like, you know, finding a price point that's more palatable for some of the smaller businesses and like less sophisticated advertisers. And So speaking about price now, what Pano is doing is connecting drivers and riders with local businesses, right? What tracks better for you? The number of rides or is it time or duration? Yeah, no, so we do viewers. So we will tell you the number of viewers that you got in front of. And then for on the price point, like we actually do, we like pay the drivers, we give them a free tablet, free install kit, and we give them cash every month just for having the tablet up. And we pay most competitive uh, within our within our market. So one thing that stops a lot of people from just like doing things is like this idea that like, oh, like the idea needs to be good, needs to be really good, needs to be better. And like, I don't think anyone sits on the sofa, comes up with a good idea, then goes out and execute it, cutes it, and it's successful. Like that just, that's, that's not how it works. It's like there are two types of people, those who are moving and those who are not. And if you're moving, you'll stumble upon things. And through just like tinkering on your way, you'll find things. I didn't just like come up with Pinot. Like I didn't just like wait to have Pinot and then start working. I would, there are like all these failed startup projects before. I called Karam like right out of college. I just, I think I knew like I didn't really like just like going to work and then coming back and going to work. And like I wanted to, to, just build something and really just put it out there. And I always told myself there were three eight-hour shifts in a day. One of the eight-hour shifts is sleep and gym, and you have two eight-hour shifts to do whatever. One of them was for work, and then I spent the another the, the remaining eight hours just like hacking away on stuff. I called Karam, and I was like, yo, let's make like a truly touch-first OS, but it needs to be like a Unix-based, like I want my terminal, but also like I like that I had like a pen and I could touch like Windows 10. And I remember Karam, and this is just like me, like, naively just kind of shooting this out there. And Karam was just literally, he was like, bro, 
I've like worked on OSs. Do you know how fucking hard that shit is? <laughs> yeah. And so like that failed. Um, and then like I tried to make a GUI for Python. I was like, because I, I made like a Python script that moved all the screenshots before the macOS Mojave like automatically put screenshots together. I like wrote a little Python script that can just like declutter your desktop and like throw your files, essentially literally the stacks, but just off like a Python script. And I sent it to my girlfriend and uh, Anna and like, she ran it and she was like, wow, Python can do that. And in my head, I was like, why does she not like she should, how can we make Python so stupid simple that she could have just thought about this and built it. And so I was like trying to make a, a GUI, just like a user interface for Python. And that shit was stupid hard. So I, that failed. And then like, um, you guys know about Amazon Go? Yeah. It's like grocery stores where you like, you just essentially take like walk. It's like essentially every grocery store becomes your pantry. You walk in, you take items, you leave. So the way that they do it is they spend millions of dollars rigging up a store and then with cameras um, and shit and RFIDs and like AI vision and all this. Right. And it costs like millions of dollars to rig up the store. So then I had an idea. I was like, okay, what if we spent a hundred dollars to rig up a store? It got 80% of the items. And then for the remaining 20%, we use like machine vision. And so like I ran with that, we got like a provisional patent. And then we like, as I was working on that and like, it was kind of like failing, falling apart because it required a stupid amount of capital. That's where, you know, I kind of had the idea for Pinot. And I was just like, I call uh, my co-founder and was like, Hey, what do you guys, what do you think about this? He's like, I actually like that. And I think, I feel like we could really bring this to market. And so it was just like, there was like this weird month where we would kind of code on both things. And every time I opened up the folder for Pinot to code on it, I felt like I was cheating. I was like, ah, but I have this other thing. And I already spent like $3,000 to try and patent it. But then afterwards, I was like, man, fuck that. But like, I think the idea here is that like, I didn't like wait for an idea. I just kind of ran with it. And when we had the idea for Pinot, we didn't have an idea about like, we didn't understand the advertising market. We didn't understand the differences between out of home and digital ads. We didn't understand like we didn't care about someone being able to click the ad or reroute the Uber. We were just like, this would be a great place for local businesses to hi- to be highlighted. If you could just give us a synopsis of one, the the company, how does Pano work? So you get into an Uber, you know, the narrative. And then second thing is maybe the a little bit about the industry. Out of home ads is a term that uh, in the industry, it's like, it's like a term. And it means that, I mean, what you would imagine, right? It's the ads that you see when you're dressed and you're walking. It's the billboards, it's the bus wraps. It Firefly, the big screens on top of the cabs and stuff, that's an out-of-home ad placement. Typically, what you have with out-of-home ads is you get a lot of impressions, but the impression isn't as valuable, right? Like you're whizzing by it. You know, with marketing, you kind of want multiple touches. If someone sees your ad seven times, it'll leave a much deeper impression. So on average, it takes like seven touches to convert. And digital ads are cool because I could, we can target people ridiculously. If you want to target like left-handed nuns, you could do that on Facebook probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> what a specific example, dude. Have you targeted left-handed nuns, you bitch? <laughs> uh, there was a guy who was like trying to sell me an email list and he used left-handed nuns as a specific thing. And I was like, that's actually really cool. Wow. <laughs> but so you can get really granular. Problem is while the targeting is there, the impression's less valuable. There's a lot of studies that show that out-of-home ads actually like buyer more confidence in a brand because like not just fucking anyone can buy that banner. If you see a billboard, you're likely going to think higher of that brand. Out of home ads have that plus. Digital ads, you can you can target and you can get click. Think about it. Like the quality of the impression is weaker, right? Because it's it doesn't it doesn't inspire confidence. If you see banner ads, are you just like, oh what a great brand? Like fuck no. So the idea is that like you've you've really targeted and it's and you can actually take action immediately, right? You can click on it boom, you're, you're in the store. So that's kind of what they're banking on. But that doesn't really mean much for 
local businesses. So then the next logical question is like, okay, so why do why do businesses still use digital ads? And it's because they're, they're priced out, right? There isn't a solution that actually works for them. They, they're, they're stuck doing that because the other option is prohibitively expensive. You know, like go, go wrap a bus in SF. That shit's not going to be cheap. <laughs> Nothing in SF is cheap, dude. <laughs> but yeah, but also with billboards, there's, there's a, a weird overhead, right? You have to like print the thing. You have to get it painted. You have to like, you know, all those kinds of types of things that digital ads kind of do away with. We place dynamic, uh, you know, interactive tablets inside Ubers and Lyfts. And uh, we let businesses advertise directly to the rider. And the riders can engage with the tablet and actually take action. So every time you're in a new neighborhood, you're going to see new content. So we have, we're using our GPS on our tablets. So it's geofenced. And we can actually get w- super granular uh, geofencing. For example, if we want, if you as an advertiser wanted to interact with riders as they're going to or from a Warriors game, we can do that. So it's a whole new level of targeting. Um, if you want to target business people at a business conference at the Moscone Center, we can target the Ubers and Lyfts on their way there, right? So there's a whole new like level of targeting that doesn't exist uh, on other ad platforms because we are out of home, but also digital. We're getting people when they're in the move. You know, we're gonna see you're gonna see unique deals that are only available on Pano, uh, and you can you can save coupons to your smart wallet. We integrate with the Apple Wallet, um, and and we have our own Android solution because uh, Google wallets are kind of like all over the place in terms of support with different devices. You can reroute the car. You can even just simply go to the website. Some businesses just want that. We have DoorDash integrations, uh, you know, Grubhub, OpenTable, uh, social media links if you just want to build a social media following. So a person, a rider, gets into the car and there's a tablet right in front of them and they can just start accessing or just clicking things that they're interested in and local businesses, ads for those, ads for bigger companies, I guess, just starts popping up and they can take exactly. action. Okay. Just visualizing how you have this tablet, did airlines or airplanes ever spark that connection? Because it, it's almost like a, you're basically in an Uber, but it's such a parallel to airlines and they have their own Sky Miles or their loyalty programs. You can buy things. I know. I know duty free. Yeah, duty free. That's yeah. like, it's like uh, literally the same thing but in Ubers and you can scale this way more and you're way more reliant on data and geofencing. That's crazy. Oh shit. I didn't yeah. think about that. Could you, yeah. Could you imagine if uh, you got access to different movies <laughs> as the plane's moving? But like, we never thought about that. We were just so busy with like excited about our solution. Like why do we use tablets? Because Android tablets yeah. are dirt cheap. Done. That was it. Right. Like I didn't, we had in no way trying to like replicate anything previously, but it was funny because our first few customers, the one, the reluctant ones, they were like, Oh, like, are you, are you guys like the New York taxi cab stuff? And the first time I heard that, I was like, fuck no, what do you mean? But then I, I like understood like, Oh wow, there's, there is actually a lot of similarity. We are really focused on making a rider experience, not just like extra revenue. We want this to be something that's great for the riders. Our drivers have like called us and told us they're getting higher tips and higher ratings. There's definitely something that like the riders like. We don't allow audio, so there, it's not meant to be a pesky experience. Even if an advertiser, like actually a lot of advertisers have asked, like they do want audio, especially the larger larger companies, but we're just saying no. That's interesting because I lived in New York for like two years and when you get into a yellow taxi, yellow cab, you have like the Tonight Show just like blazing, like just blaring on. That was the first thing, trying to press the mute button and it's always not functioning and it's like the worst experience. So this is really interesting. And also like, you know, for example, like what if most things didn't have audio and then like in the middle of your trip, one ad had audio. And so you were just like, kind of like relaxing or something. And it's like, (laughs) 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 you know, we really are looking at this first as like a customer experience. Also, we have these really cool mounts that mount between the two headrests. 
So it's actually, it's like kind of levitating in the middle of the two headrests for everyone in the back seat. So even if it's an Uber pool or whatever, like we have the whole audience covered. Can you go over pricing structure? How, how do you approach that? How have you changed it throughout the time uh, as you're scaling and working with more and more businesses? And then how are drivers involved in that? And what incentive do they have to mount these tablets in their cars and basically partner up with you? One thing is like, if you're a startup, you're almost always guaranteed you're going to be like undercharging for a service as you guys are figuring things out. The first thing we did is I like threw out a price at a customer like a, you know, a year ago and they were just like, no, I was like, okay, uh, 50% off just for you. They're like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll give it a shot. So they're like, all right, cool. So we're going to do the 50% off price for everybody. We signed up, you know, our first 40 businesses like that. And then we like iterate with the price a little bit. But I think what was clear is that there's like different businesses that have very different needs. For example, like the, a plastic surgeon versus a restaurant. The restaurant might want like a smaller number of views and maybe just really close to the business versus the plastic surgeon might want to cover a lot more of the city and things like that. Understanding your customer types and iterating the price a little bit. I don't think we're there. I think we're, it's, a, it's always a work in progress. And we should be aiming to iterate the prices more frequently. So, you know, our pricing is constantly changing. Um, right now, we have an entry point of just 99 bucks for the smallest of businesses. You get a few number of views, but you'll be on the tablet, uh, probably really close to your business. And we can go up to as much as someone wants. For the drivers, we're consistently paying them like 10x what the competition does. Wow. So uh, right now, you know, if you're a driver, like you can make 100 bucks uh, a month just driving with Pinot. If you're a full-time driver, yeah, we look at it from, from every angle, right? So we have three stakeholders. We have drivers, riders, and businesses. And we want to make something like we don't want to create something that's bad for anyone, but good for the others. Like we want to make something that's an elevated experience for everybody involved. And I really hope that that's what, we're, that's what we've done and we're doing. That's awesome. Yeah, drive with awesome, us. Yeah. Can you touch on the competitive landscape? What does it look like? How big is it? How many companies are there? What what are they working on? Yeah, there's no incumbent. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's like a handful, maybe like three or so other companies that are putting tablets inside Ubers and Lyfts. Um, I think the biggest one right now is Octopus. They uh, they put games in tablets, and then like you can play with the games to interact. But yeah, I, I I'm not really worried about competition though. So even though there are a handful of other companies, there's a lot of cars. And no company is going to have enough capital to put a tablet in every car. So what I'm really focused on doing is putting our heads down and making the best experience for everyone involved. And I think as long as we can comfortably do that, we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, Nada, so is Uber or Lyft or any of those big guys, are they aware of you? Are they aware of your company? Are they aware of what you're trying to provide as part of the ride hailing platform? I think, I think they're probably definitely aware of these services. Uh, they've partnered with Cargo, which is another like car service, Uber service. So they're definitely aware of this. Okay. You don't need to take permission from them, right? To, to advertise in the driver's cars, right? That's totally different from the platform itself. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think, the premise that all these companies are, are running on, whether it's Cargo or Firefly or Lightout or Octopus. How big is your team right now at Pano? Yeah, so we're seven people right now, and we will probably will, will remain so until like March or so. What's your um, hiring process like? Is it just down to passion? It's a mix of passion and knowledge. We'll, we'll find the knowledge, right? Like, there's actually a, a cool quote. It's like the biggest thing that stops people is experience, right? Like, like if I knew about the ad industry, I probably would have never tried to start make my own ad network or ad platform, right? And like, I would under, you know, there's all these hurdles and stuff, but instead like through being naive in that regard, I just kind of like did it. I, so, you know, the, the things that we're learning, like this hasn't been done before, right? Especially the way that we're doing it. So the knowledge is kind of like hit or miss, right? There's obviously some like hard skills, like the development, but like 
on like the sales front, we're just putting things in front of people and seeing what sticks and what doesn't and how we can better position it and how we can better create the product. We're putting things out there and learning so we can come back and iterate our product. And it's just like, it's just like a really, you know, it's a tight feedback loop and we're just doing what we can. So what's your day-to-day like with regards to that? Yeah, everything. Um, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll, I'll sell, I'll pitch, I'll code. If there's like small, I, do, I call it, uh, I've like dubbed it like sales focused development. If there's like, you know, we want to iterate our sign up flow or something like rather than like design it and like make a pitch to someone and have them take it, I'll just like sit down and do it, uh, which is the benefit of being like a technical founder. Uh, I'm really trying to like lean into more like the sales and uh, obviously pitching as that as that takes place. So how do you unlock doors with investors and uh, trying to try to unlock their bank accounts? You know, you're really passionate about this. So I feel like a lot of investors might might uh, see a lot of noise because they see so many people excited about their startups. They they're like, oh, let me tell you about my startup in an elevator or wherever they are. How do you what's your approach to um, telling your story to investors and um, what's been maybe like your best success story? And what's been a time where you really got grounded and humble from hearing an investor's feedback? You got you to find out what the VC's investor thesis was. And that's how they'd say it. I, I, didn't, I don't like that. It didn't resonate with me, at least, because like, it was kind of like, who, who cares about an investment thesis? Like, if I'm presenting a cool opportunity, like they, should, they should take it, right? And so, but like, you can't think of it that way. Because what you're, what you're doing is you have presented a, a thing and you're pitching it to a company. And you want that company to, to back you a little bit. And you got to make sure it's the right company. Um, doing a little bit of research on the VCs that you do reach out to can go a long way. So leveraging the VC's strengths. So if they're into, I don't know, media or they're into ride hailing or they know the market. So it's better to get the VCs who are experienced. Yeah. But just like the, the VCs, like if you have a beverage, pitch it to a beverage company, right? It's kind of, it's just really, it's, it boils down to that. Like look up what the, what the firm tends to invest in and see if there's something that rhymes with what you're doing. And, and I think that you'll find a lot more success because it'll just resonate more. You know, all these VC partners, they're humans too. You know, go read their tweets, go read what they write and you'll kind of understand who they are and where they're coming from. And that'll help you really position your initial pitch. Uh, so when, when we started fundraising, I would email this thing and it was just like, this is Panoa and I'm sorry, Panoa, and we do local business. We put tablets inside the list and we put the, you know, the, and like, it's this fucking thing. In just a few short months, we've gotten so much traction. Like, fuck that, right? Like, no one read that. And like, I would see it. Like, I have an email tracker thing, right? Like, no one's opening that shit. And if they do, they're not responding. And it's just like, in my head, I'm like, what's wrong here? Like, this is actually really cool what we're doing. And it's just like, look, like, it's not about what you say. It's about how it's received, right? Also, there's steps, right? As, as much as like, as an entrepreneur, you just want to like fucking do it, right? Like, doesn't work like that for some things and like sales especially and if you're if you're fundraising you're it's sales you're selling your equity for some cash this the, the cycle is just kind of like uh, you know initiate a conversation like your your email shouldn't be to sell them on the company your email should be to get on the phone call on the phone call you can pique their interest a little bit more and then maybe that'll lead into a pitch and then maybe after the pitch you'll actually get some cash right like no one's going to read an email and be like check right like that doesn't happen don't say more than like 10 words about your company in the email. So like I, so I changed my email approach to like this really simple, like I'd actually spend like a few hours like researching the person who I wanted to reach out to one. It's like, do I actually want this person to invest in my company? And then like, once you, once you kind of like read about the person, uh, you'll, you'll find something that did resonate with you for any reason. And then that's the greatest opening line. It's so genuine, right? It's just like, Hey, like I saw like you did this 
that's actually really cool. And I really appreciated you putting this out there. I appreciated you saying this. One line, they re- they're going to read that. Next line, I started Pinot. You know, it's been really exciting, you know, seeing this traction take off, blah, blah, blah. Next line, you know, do you have five minutes for a call? A few minutes of your time can make you my hero. Done. That's an email. Someone's going to read it. And then ever since I moved to that, I actually started getting responses because it's, it's just, it's genuine, right? It's not copy pasted. It's not like I actually did research the person. I actually have a reason why I think that they'd be someone I'd want to partner with. And like, there are a ton of VCs. So like, it's okay to be picky. Like, I think at first I was just like, if there was someone who wasn't quite resonating, I was like, ah, oh, I should still send them an email. It's like, no, find someone that you really do want to send an email to. I want to learn about you now. What do you do in your off time when you have it? Yeah, so I upped my gym membership. I got like a really nice one. Pretty much like all I do is work. And so like, it's really nice to have a really nice gym. Uh, I don't know. I want to I wanna pretend and say I do other shit, but, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> uh, I like, I, so I mean, I work out every day. Like I don't let myself not do that. It's just like, there are days where I'm like, oh, like, you know, today's one of those days. Like I've skipped gym in the past. I should skip the gym today. It's like, no, just fucking go. Like, it's like, you know, the work's still there. You'll still have time to do it. And I'll just feel better by doing it. So I used to go surfing a lot. Uh, I don't do that as much. I really enjoyed it. I skate to work. I like skating. So it's a nice little, I actually have a new longboard coming in today. Um, I didn't buy it because I'm, uh, you know, not in a place where I should be doing that, but I, I stole my brother's board. He got new wheels on it like last year and he never, he never took it out. So, um, it's a loaded dervish. So I'm really excited. I don't know if you guys skate. I know loaded. Yeah. 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 I still have that boosted board by the way, Adrian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dude, I, uh, I miss that thing so much. Dude, it's it flies. It's so fun. You know, there's like a moment where you're just like, wow, this is incredible. That moment for me was when I bombed a hill going up. The office is like not too far from my apartment. So I actually like taking the regular skateboard. Um, uh, sometimes I'll just even walk it. Like it's really just kind of however I'm feeling. So an- another thing that uh, you like to spend your time doing and what I love so much is you support the businesses that do business with you. Yeah. And even local businesses that don't like, you know, not everyone is going to believe in our product immediately and that's fine. Like I'm not, it's not a knock against them, but I, I really into supporting the small businesses. You know, there's a guy, his name's Perseo. Uh, on my walk home, he's this like uh, Peruvian guy and they have a small flower shop, him and his sister. They had it for like 40 years. It's this like tiny, like, almost like honestly like it's a hole in the wall like the flowers are on the sidewalk and i remember the first time i was like i was like kind of drunk and i was walking home from a bar and i see these flowers and i started talking to him uh and i just like i was like you know i'm gonna get on a nice bouquet so i asked him and i was like 20 dollars. he's like 25 i'm like all right fine and he just like looked at the flowers and he like picks one here and he picks one here and he put together this bouquet and it was like the best bouquet i've ever seen and i was like wow that was really cool and I, you know, it's like seven bucks more per bouquet than like Whole Foods, but then the money doesn't go to Jeff Bezos. It stays in the community and it goes right to Perseo, right? And like, um, it was actually really cool. So I started exclusively buying uh, flowers from Perseo. And every time it's such a different bouquet. And I just kind of realized it's kind of like really cool. You know, it's like whatever, however he felt waking up, whatever inspired him that day, it kind of like went into these flowers. And every time he just kind of like looks at the, the buckets of the flowers and he picks the bouquet that he wants to make. And every time it's unique. And like, if you bought a bouquet right after me, you're not getting that bouquet. It's different. It's so unique and like special. And the flowers even last longer. And like, I think there's just like something about it that resonates more. And like, Anna sees it too, right? It's like more special, like these flowers. And so like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm huge on on supporting our, our local businesses. 
I wanted to ask one question. Was there any pivotal moment while you were building Pano that you were like, you know what, this could actually be a really cool company, really big company? Yeah, I think um, we were selling to a business owner. And so we have this really cool dashboard where you can go and launch your ads on the fly. Like you can change your ads within 30 seconds across our entire fleet. So, um, you know, which is huge for local businesses, right? Because like an online business is the same 24-7. But your brunch spot is very different place at 2 p.m. than at 9 a.m. And so like you can actually run different ads for different times for physical businesses. That's never been possible before. Every ad that goes live on Pano, we create a little web page for it, automatically system generated, and it has all these incredible links. One to get you a fresh Uber or Lyft or reroute your current one, one to get you social media links, one to get you DoorDash integration, open table, whatever it is, custom buttons, whatever you want. And one business owner was just like, Oh my God, you built the world's simplest web page maker because you like automatically generated a page with all the things I need. And I was like, Oh my God, we just like brought software to like a whole new demographic. And like I, I think that we could really dive into this. That's incredible. You know how hard it is to, to put something into your Apple wallet? It's impossible. You have to code this thing from scratch. Then you have to use a digital signature register with Apple, digitally sign it. Then you get this PK pass file. Then you go deploy it. It's like, who the fuck's doing that? So like, like we have an Apple pass designer integrated in the portal so that local businesses can go and design the, a custom coupon and they can just put that shit right there in your Apple wallet. Wow. Yeah. And it, they just, they go right there. And so like that resonates with some businesses because they're just like, oh, so I can use that now too. It's like, yeah, it's not just for the large corporations. Like, um, it's just, we've simplified it and we've kind of democratized access to that type of stuff. And so the more we can do that, the better. So one of our advertisers or one of our local businesses, they spend like a, like, like a thousand five hundred a month on SMS, uh, messaging for like marketing. Like those things are really expensive. And I remember thinking like, I could make that. So I like pulled an all-nighter and just like coded it. And like, I threw it in the Pano portal, like Alec and I, the co-founder, like we sat there and we just busted it out. And like, now all of our customers have free SMS marketing as well. And like, we're selling it at cost, right? Like, I don't, like, I didn't want to make a dime off that. Like, it's just like, fuck it. Like they're in, they're advertising with us. Like, cool. This is a platform, that's dude. Huge. Yeah, that's it's insane. It's huge. Fuck you to the SMS company, 1500 bucks a month. Yeah, I think this is where I noticed. I was like, you know, I think we, I think we touched something here. And, uh, you know, talking to a chef in Oakland and I showed her what we had and she was just like, she was like, thank you. Every person who tries to sell me something, this is this fluffy thing. It's software. I don't get it. This was the most direct pitch ever. And I love it. I love what you guys are up to. Like, keep at it. Let's talk Monday. So she's going to sign up. And like, I don't think anyone in any big company or any successful company knew exactly what they were up to when they started. Entrepreneurs want you to think that they're visionaries because it's easier than to go fundraise because investors are like, ah, oh, visionaries, take my money. But like, it doesn't work like that. Think of anyone, right? Like, I, you know, you hear a lot right now that Amazon's this empire. Oh, Jeff Bezos knew what he was doing in the 70s. Fuck no. Like, I didn't know. He, like, he, he probably had like theories and like ideas, but he was just busy baking a bookstore. No one would have built a bookstore for 30 years and then gone and made an empire, right? Like, like at the end of the day, what Amazon did that's really cool is they, they accidentally made AWS and then that subsidizes their entire business. You know, that's why they can go make like knockoff Allbirds and whatever the hell they want to do is they have AWS money to throw around. So like, like they didn't know, you know how AWS started? There was like one Christmas, they had like a bunch of web traffic. They scaled up their servers January 1st. There was no web traffic. They were like, let's just license this shit out. And like that resonated, right? So like they didn't, he didn't know that. Jeff Bezos, no matter what he tells you, he did not know he was doing that in like whenever they started Amazon. If you think about like 
Apple, right? Like Steve Jobs didn't know what an iPhone was in the 70s, right? They just kind of like trucked along with what they had. And it was actually really shitty for a lot of time. And then they were, they were like, oh my God, there's this software called multi-touch. And then like an engineer was like, how can we design interactions around this? And then it became like, oh, we can make a phone. There wasn't this, I'm going to like come up with ideas here. Like it, that's not how it worked. You just got to like go be in motion and like things will happen. If you were given like, whether you want to call it data or whatever it is, like if you're, if you're sprinting, when you approach things, you'll, you'll take them and sprint with them. But if you, if you're not sprinting and if you're sitting, then you're not going to like take these things and sprint with them. You're not going to stop sitting to go sprint when you see a thing. So just move. And that's actually why like, I love when like friends are starting shit. I love that you guys are doing this podcast. I love what you guys are already doing with the podcast, but the fact that you guys are in motion and that you have gone out on your own and like done stuff means that as you find great opportunities, you'll, you'll take them and you'll run with them and you'll build this podcast and everything that comes with it to be something great and huge. And so I'm excited for you guys. Stop making me cry, dude. God damn it. This is I'm enough. about this to is weep. The last, this is your last warning, dude. Yeah, like you said, I think it's like setting course and just constantly correcting your course until you hit the point where you actually want to get to. So Nada, is there a way people can get in touch with you or read your material? Is there a way, do you have a Twitter or a way people could keep up to date with uh, what you're doing at Pano? Beyond listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah well totally so i i natter like ladder on like everything so uh natter n-a-d-e-r ladder with double d though uh, i'm on twitter with the handle natter like ladder i'm on linkedin yeah i'm not too active on social media typically i'm like been really really busy but uh i definitely try to be i think i've made like two tweets in the last like six months but you know it'll probably that's, go up that's healthy that's healthy jed's <laughs> got like one in six years so yeah yeah so i'm on those platforms follow us on Pano. Uh, Pano.io is our website at it's Pano on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter. That's P A N E A U. Someone said something funny. They were like bread water, and I was like, "What?" Because it's like pen. <laughs> oh my god! I was like, oh, this so is funny. where we cut. This is where yeah, we end yeah, this call. So... <laughs> no. Thanks for listening to Things Have Changed. Be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode and follow us on our Instagram at THC underscore pod. We're going to see you next time.